Welcome everyone to the fourth Taviran podcast. We will be reviewing episode eight of season one of Amazon Prime's The Wheel of Time. We'll be talking more about that and breaking it down and kind of giving what our opinions are, what we thought about that, how it maybe compares to the book and which we thought was better. But uh, for now, this episode, we, we have myself, Justin, I'll be your host, along with our other Taviran, Kyle. Hey, everybody. Anyways, welcome to the 4th Taviran Podcast, a family-friendly review show, commentary, and all that stuff about Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. And when the series was first announced, you know, we've, we've talked about it in the past for quite some time that we were super excited, glad it was coming to, this, to the small screen, I guess, and that it was going to be a streaming series. And as the show has come out, we've liked some things. Uh, not liked other things we've been pretty I feel like we've been fair as far as our criticism we've talked about and lauded the things that we enjoy and we think that the show is doing really well with but we've also pointed out the things that we don't like as well as you know other people from what we've heard so for you Kyle we're at the end of this journey for season one episode eight um, how do you think it's been going so far all the way up to this point to to this episode um, well, in, uh, as we've talked in previous podcasts, I, there are definitely some things that I've liked, uh, specifically around the cinematography, the, uh, the, the special effects and it's beautiful, you know, beautiful sets, fantastic, uh, special effects. It, it was, it's fun to watch, right? Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great, um, demonstration of what's capable nowadays. Uh, that being said, uh, I think they they made a lot of unnecessary changes, and I mean we've had we've touched on that in previous episodes. And does that make it so that I don't want to watch it anymore? No. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, people who who do like it, and I think that's great, you know. Um, but you know, as a as an avid fan of the books, it's tough for me to to really you know jump on the horse and and get excited about this. And so. Um, up to this point, I'd, I'd say I'm a solid middle of the rotor with, with a little disappointment. Okay. Yeah, I feel pretty similar um, in the middle. Some things I love, some things I'm like, why did they do that? Or why didn't they add this scene or, you know, what, stuff like that. Um, one thing I do enjoy, and we brought it up um, throughout these review episodes, is usually this cold opening they have, um, at least the last couple, uh, they do show kind of some, I don't know if it's behind the scenes, but stuff that happened off screen in the books, you know, and for this episode, it starts off in the past, you know, 3000 years ago, as, as far as this uh, current part of the story is where it's at 3000 years prior, the breaking of the world happened. So we get some lead up to that because that was, that was all, that's always a main topic in in the books is the breaking of the world especially in the first couple couple of books um, and we see Luz Theron Talamon and the Tamerlan seat Latra Posea de Cume I hope I'm saying that right and they're talking about how to seal up the boar they need to the dark ones breaking free due to past stuff um, they tried to they found a, a weak point in this thing and they were wondering what it is so they opened it up and it was the dark one's prison and so they're like oh crap we gotta we gotta fix this so they're they're attempting to seal it up to prevent the dark one from breaking free 
And so these two are the, the main Aes Sedai in charge. And they're, they're initially speaking in the old tongue. It's being translated for us. And they're talking just how to go about it. And while I really enjoyed seeing this behind the scenes stuff, um, there were, I had some, some hangups with it because um, it was pretty blatant changes that didn't necessarily need to happen. For example, Luz Theron, um, he's the Tamerlan seat. That's his title. So I'm not sure why they're calling uh, this female Aes Sedai the Tamerlan seat. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, but they're already talking about how citing the male half of the source has been corrupted and the women have to pick up the pieces without the male Aes Sedai. And then she calls them the Dragon Reborn. And, you know, so just things like that, that I don't know why they made those changes. Uh, what are your thoughts, Kyle? Yeah, similarly, I, I I love the look into the past of the Age of Legends, right? That that was fantastic. And you, you see the advanced technology and the the beautiful scenery and, you know, the things that you would expect in, in a, in a very advanced age. But I mean, again, this scene was rife with unnecessary changes, right? And it, um, it distracts from, I think, you know, the overall story points, you know, for, for example, Luz Theron, Luz Theron's title is different, right? And, and I, I can, I can live with that. That, that's right. not a big deal, but you know, for me, how they're already talking about, you know, citing being corrupted. Nobody had any idea that citing was going to be corrupted, right? If you know, Luz Theron and the hundred companions went and uh, you know sealed the boar, right? That was an unfortunate side effect. Yeah. But um, the that's fact that they're point. speaking about it, like it's already happened. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. again an unnecessary change. Yeah, but uh, breaks down the sequence of events which I think is very particular, was very well thought out and organized by Robert Jordan in the books. And there's a reason for it, right? Yep. So, and the, you bring up a good point in the sense that they, they hadn't even tried to seal up the boar yet. And the, the tainting of, of Saeedine was uh, the dark one reaching out to try and stop that from happening. So, I don't know. It just doesn't add up. No, no. And, this and it's is, just, go ahead. There, there are things that, like this, right, that um, to really just throw off the order and kind of the, the sequence of events that Robert Jordan has la laid out that are going to be tough to recover from later on, I think, depending on how, which way they take the story. So. Yeah. And I think that's one of the themes of this episode that we have. Um, just why why are things out of order? Why do they need to be? And it's going to be tough to recover from. Uh, Rafe Judkins wrote this episode. Uh, supposedly he's a super fan. Read the books many times. You know, this is his baby. Um, but he's the one that made all these changes. Him and the, the writers, right? He's ultimately the one that decides what's, what's uh, shot, what's written and what's shot and all that stuff. So uh, that blows my mind too. Because... In his Q&As, his comments that he makes regarding the story, he does have a really good knowledge of the story and the ins and outs. But then we get stuff like this, and I, it doesn't, doesn't add up. And we've said many times yep. in this show, the details matter. You know, these small details, in and of himself, it was just one thing here, one thing there. Okay, whatever. You know, that's how 
television shows are when they adapt the books. But there's pretty consistent changes throughout that just kind of add up as we go along. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I you take other adaptations from books like. And I know everybody uses this as a model, but like the Lord of the Rings, right? And, you know, quite frankly, Peter Jackson, yeah, he changed and eliminated a couple things, but he stuck pretty true to the story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you know, I think there's a reason why Lord of the Rings was so successful, right? Uh, both from a, a book perspective and a... Uh, a film perspective is because they they stuck to... Uh, Tolkien's theology and his his you know his book for the most part. So, anyways, I think there's op there's opportunity for improvement. So yeah. Okay, so we left off, or we start where we left off at the last episode. Uh, Rand and Moraine had left Valdara um, and gone into the Blight by themselves to to try and find the the Eye of the World. The plot point up to this point was uh, whoever goes with Moraine is going to die and one of these Emmonfielders is the Dragon Reborn. We don't know which one. And at the end of the last um, episode, uh, Ran realizes, oh, it's him. So her, Moraine and Ran take off on their own in the dark and they go off into the, to the Blight. And as they're going along, they're talking, you know, don't touch anything. They, they see some dead Borderlanders uh, who've ventured off. That was one of the things that the Borderlanders do. That's from the book. So great. Good job, Rafe. But uh, they go off and try to prove themselves and kill some Trollocs and become a man, I guess, some type of initiatory ceremony or something. Uh, some of them don't come back. And so we see that, which is great. Uh, but they get tired. They go to sleep. Ran has this dream where he wakes up in the dream and he's telling Moraine, hey, the Dark One knows where we are. We got to get going. And then all of a sudden, Balsamon's there and he stabs Moraine and then starts talking to, Ron, to Rand. And uh, Balsamon tells him he looks like Luz Theron and Rand doesn't know what he's talking about. And so Balsamon talks to him like he's Luz Theron, like they're, you know, they are old friends. They've been friends for quite some time. So he talks to him like that, and Rand's kind of confused. But they talk about um, the Hundred Companions and all this stuff. But then Rand starts to realize it's a, it's a dream, and he stabs himself with the sword and then wakes up. Um, do you think that's a little bit of Teleron Rioid there, or is it just a dream? Um, I don't know that it's Teleron Rioid. I, I think it's just... I think it's within Rand's dream, right? Okay. And so, because inside of Teleron Riyadh, you have the ability to enter people's dreams, right? But it's, I don't want to say separate from Teleron Riyadh, it's not the actual physical place, though, right? Right. And so I think uh, Balsamon, right, is using um, using methodologies to, to enter Rand's dream. I don't think, I don't think we're quite at Teleron reality yet. Okay. In my opinion. All right. So he wakes up <laughs> and Rand won't tell her what he dreams about. He's stubborn. Um, right. So then Moraine shows him the song Grial that she carries of the little fat man. And 
he tells her uh, how it amplifies the power. So we kind of get a, a lesson on how Sangreal work. Um, and she says, you know, you, you're probably going to have to use it to defeat the Dark One and put him back in his prison. Um, so they, they continue on. Um, he asked her to teach her to channel. He asked her to teach him to channel. And then we realize, if, uh, I don't know if this is the first time we hear it, but how female I said I can't teach male I said I had a channel and vice versa because they're two different things. There's a difference between the men, difference between the women, and how they access the power. Um, and she talks about um, how when she was a novice at the White Tower, um, she wanted to be, um, she wanted to learn more how to use the power and there was this Aes Sedai that came, would come to her room and just beat her with lashes of air and fire because she was having trouble channeling um, and they wouldn't stop until it incensed Moraine enough that she was able to grasp the power and stop this Aes Sedai from, from beating her up every night. And in the story, that's that's Elida. Uh, we, in the story, we've met her by now, but in the show, we haven't. So I, I think that's why they didn't name her. Um, but um, so she relates to Rand. Hey, there's gonna time gonna come a time when you are you think you're gonna die, and you're gonna reach out and grab the power, and and you'll be able to save us. So I don't know. What do you think of that that uh, plan? That great plan that Moraine has that, oh, you'll figure it out when the time comes. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand where she's coming from, right? I understand. And I, again, I'm, I'm trying to pull myself away from the books and put myself in the in the episode here, right? Okay. Um, I understand where she's coming from. Uh, you know, I mean, again, she can't really teach him how to how to channel, right? And so the best the best she can do is is relate, you know, an experience that she had that forced her to learn essentially, or forced her to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Rand and, and hope that Rand would be able to grasp similarly, right? And so and obviously that's not really how it happens in the books at all, but but still, I mean, you know, putting putting yourself in the position of a of you know thinking about, you know, trying to, you know, speak to somebody in a different language, right? You, you have to find common ground somewhere. Mm. And that common ground to Moraine happened to be what finally got her over her, I don't want to say block, but her, uh, her inability to channel in, yeah. in the episode, in, in the movies or the, the TV show. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, kind of use your own experiences to, to teach what you hopefully comes across in a way that he can he can do it as well okay so they keep going and they end up coming to this big hole and it's the eye of the world and there's some stairs leading down it looks like a it's an old structure one of the structures from um the age of legends maybe and they end up going down there uh to the bottom and at the bottom uh, Rand starts to remember since he's the dragon reborn he's he starts to access some of the dragon's memories i guess uh Lutheran's memories and so he starts to look around and he sees how it used to look before it was destroyed uh we see um 
the symbol of the Aes Sedai on the bottom, the the dragon's fang and the the Aes Sedai, the flame of the Aes Sedai. Um, and so he realized he remembers that he he fought someone there that was the dark one, and so he starts to have all these memories coming back. And then he he touches uh, that symbol, and then he's in this alternate reality. I'm assuming or some type of vision. And he's back in the two rivers with Egwene, and they have a baby, um, Hoya. And I, that's, you know, when the show first started, that's kind of the life that he envisioned for himself. Because he would be with Egwene, they'd raise their family in the two rivers. And so this is kind of an extension of that. And so he's having this vision and he's happy um, and that sort of thing. And then back in reality, Moraine's trying to wake, 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 trying to wake him up, and um, he's he's un, she's unsuccessful. Uh, and that's when Bosleman shows up and tries to to kill. Moraine tries to kill him with the power, but he stops the attack and then shields Moraine to so she can't touch the power. Um, for you, Kyle. Was this part, this part makes sense if you're looking at it from the, the goggles of the show? Like you said, not bringing in the book. Did it, did this story kind of make sense for you? Um, kind of, right? I think it's, I mean, it, it's, it's a good way to kind of demonstrate, um, you know, perhaps the shortcomings of the previous dragons, right? In that, the, the previous dragons and the false dragons uh, were, you know, very, I don't want to say prideful, but, you know, very wanting. They, they wanted, they wanted power. They wanted to be all powerful, right? And uh, I think the point they're trying to get across is Rand almost kind of, you know, submits to this vision that it's not what everybody in that vision, for example, you know, Egwene would want, right? And ultimately, that's what, you know, succeeds in him, you know, not succumbing to the Dark One's power, not succumbing to Baalzaman's, you know, influence, and ultimately, you know, summoning uh, summoning Sidene and, and banishing Baalzaman, like we'll talk about here in a minute, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, thinking about it through the lens of the show, right, it, it's almost a, an illustration of unselfishness that allows him to overcome the dark one's influence mm -hmm. yeah oh so, i mean i get I, I guess i mean if i'm trying to make sense of the scene with my book complaints aside i, I guess that's kind of how i would see it yeah okay um i think it does it does make sense it's um in the context of the story it's not this is not how it went down in the book and so no. i like you you have to divorce that idea. Like, okay, this is different. This is Rafe Jud Judkins' Wheel of Time. Um, and as far as that story, it it follows uh, a storyline thread. It makes sense. He's the chosen one. He's got to choose between, you know, defeating the, joining the fight, and defeating the Dark One, or just, you know, giving up all that and doing what he wants, what he selfishly wants. So I thought it was a good good visual of him trying to do that. Um, so in this, later on in this vision there, he's talking with Egwene 
and um, Balsamon, like everything freezes and Balsamon shows up. He's like, hey, you can use the power to make this world a reality for you. And he kind of shows him how to use the power a little bit. And he tells him, I can, I can teach you more. Um, so that's, that's intriguing for him. That's what he wants. You know, he can't get that from Moraine, but he can get that from Balsamon. And how he shows him how he can, you know, slice. He slices Egwene's throat a little bit and then heals it. And so he's like, Rand asks him to, to teach him. And so he shows him and then he's, he's able to tap into the power at that point on his own. And then he also, he remembers he has that, uh, um, the Sangreal that Moraine gave him. And he's able to draw in more power and able to destroy it, use it to destroy Balsamon. Um, and then he's able to wake up from his dream. When he wakes up, that eye said eye symbol on the, on the floor is cracked. It's all broken up. And then we later find out that that's Quindiar. Um, that's one of the seals of the, of the dark. I don't know if it's the seal or one of the seals, but it's you know a seal of the dark one's prison. So, and nothing can break Quindiar. It did. Uh, so that's that's kind of the main storyline with Rand. And then we got these other, you know, his friends back at Faldara. Um, you know, the Trollocs are attacking Faldara. So the, the armies go out to Tarwin's Gap to try and, you know, stop him, slow him down, um, all that stuff. And the main guy, um, what's the leader's name of the Shania? Yeah, Lord Algamar goes out there to fight. And at Tarwin's Gap, they're defeated. There's too many Trollocs and they're killed. A lot of them are killed. And so they break through Tarwin's Gap. They're coming to attack Faldara. And the last line of defense, basically, is these four untrained um, uh, women who can tap into the power. They're not Aes Sedai. Um, I think, well, maybe the one well, was. Uh, Lady Annalisa, she was minorly trained, right? But she yeah. wasn't powerful enough to to become an Aes Sedai. Right. But she was at the tower briefly. Okay, so she not officially, maybe she was accepted, but not Aes Sedai? I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think she had a ring. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so... So there was But yeah, a... it's almost... Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, um, yeah. So Annalisa, Egwene, Nynaeve, and then another lady. Was there just four, or was there five? I think there was just four. Yeah, and so they're calling down lightning. They're using the power to, you know, use lightning and all these things to destroy the Trollocs, which was pretty cool. Pretty cool sequence. I like seeing that. But you know, that's a lot of power, and they were linked. They. Uh, the one lady showed him how to link, so they were able to do that and draw even more power. And as they did so, some of them burned burned out and, and died because it was just so much power that they were accessing. And um, Nynaeve, she starts to draw in too much power, and uh, she stops Egwene. She kind of prevents her from getting too much power, so she's able to live. And then we think Nynaeve's dead, but then at the end, she's not. She's able to be healed and brought back. So, 
And for me, that part was a little inconsistent because uh, we saw early, a couple episodes ago when they were uh, trying to get Loghain under control and he kind of escaped and killed a, pretty much everybody in the room. Then 90 runs in and, and heals everybody. So she's got this amazing amount of power, is able to channel it pretty well. And, but yet here, she's, she's not powerful enough. And she's the one that needs healing. So I don't know. I've, it seemed inconsistent to me. Yeah, me too. That, that was, and again, divorcing myself from the book, myself from the book, because no way would they even understand how to link nor heal to that degree in, in, at this stage in the books, right? But mm-hmm. um, you know, with the stage that they set in, in the previous episode, like you mentioned, uh, Nynaeve was dead, right? Nynaeve was dead. <laughs> she had been burned out. And, yeah. and Egwene's not going to be able to heal that. Right. Yeah, she doesn't. That know. that. Even, yeah, she one. She doesn't know how to you know heal very well. Right, and she hasn't trained with the power. And two, you know, you can't you can't heal dead. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that was you know agreed. That was a bit inconsistent. But like you said, the the visual effects in this scene are my favorite in the whole series. I mean, just astoundingly awesome. I love the battle sequences and having them. You know, strike the, the the trollocs with lightning with all sorts of you know weather effects is fantastic. I loved it. Right. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I so they have the talent, they got the budget, they got the ideas. Um, so I'm hoping as the series goes on, it gets better. Um, as far as I don't know, following the story instead of making up their own story. But anyway, <laughs> we've talked about that. So while that's all going on, uh, Perrin and some of the Shanirans, Uno, um, who else is there? With oh, Loyal is there. Loyal's and there. They're kind of defending the castle and making sure that nothing happens to it. Um, so there's yeah, it's Lord Yakuda, Yakoda. Lordy Coda and Uno and Perrin and Loyal come upon them in the throne room and they're kind of they're trying to dig something up pull something out that's hidden under the throne and as they do that they pull out a big box they open up the big box and inside is a horn it's the horn of Valir and uh, the horn is to be blown at the last battle to call the heroes of the horn the all the great heroes in the history of the world, this horn has the power and the ability to call them forth from the grave for a, a task to help defend something. And so they're going to use that because everyone thinks that this is the last battle. Like this is the end. They've been waiting for it. They're going to defeat the Dark Ones, so they're going to use the horn if they need to. But Padden Fane, he's, he's in town and he's been hiding out, and he he's able to infiltrate the tower or this um, uh, throne room, this castle, along with two Murdral. So he's able to control Murdral, Mer- which is pretty cool. Uh, I liked that. And then they infiltrate the palace, find the throne room, uh, kill everyone there except for Loyal or except for Perrin, sorry. And um, he takes the horn and, and escapes. So. Loyal is killed, which was, I don't know, that was a surprise. Um, like, what? 
along with Uno. Um, Uno also, was someone that lasts, I don't know, several books. It's a good character on top of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. This part, I, I was in disbelief. It's like, why are you killing Loyal um, and Uno? Is it a trick? Is it, you know, like Nynaeve? You know, when she died, you're like, uh, that's, that's not going to stick. That's not going to stay. She's going to come back somehow. And she did. So is this kind of a loyal, we think he's dead, but he's not. Uh, maybe. I, <laughs> I, you know, to think about it in the books, loyal, does he really have any major tangible effect? And you, you, you could argue, and you and I have chatted about this before, not Justin, but mm-hmm. you could argue maybe not. Right, but but it's loyal, right? <laughs> yeah. So why why are you killing off loyal? All in the same breath, though. I mean, again, divorcing myself from the books, um, I honestly don't know how they how they you know continue with all this. I mean, Pot on Fane already has Matt's dagger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also inconsistent. Matt's not even there, which is also totally inconsistent, right? Yeah. And so. Um, I, I'd be curious what plans they have for Matt, but they, they've got to find a way to bring Loyal back somehow. I, Uno, I, I, I mean, I can understand if Uno stays dead, it's right. stupid, but, yeah. um, I can understand that, but Loyal, Loyal, in my opinion, is still a major character in the book. It, or it, it, in the in the series, quite frankly, he's got to be able to come back somehow. And maybe there's this magic resurrection thing, like just what just happened to Nynaeve. But um, that's also interesting. And then the fact that the Horn of Valir was in the throne room is also kind of bizarre, right? I mean, why wouldn't Aglomar have just? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, why, why is he, why is it in the throne room, right? Why is that not like at the White Tower or somewhere else, right? That's far more secure than in a in a city by the by the blight, right? Yeah, right. And why well, didn't he use it in this? If they thought this why was the last battle, why didn't he pull it out and? All right, we're winning this one. We got the heroes of the horn with us, you know. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. That's, so again, I mean. Plagued by inconsistencies, in my opinion. It's it's if you're going to tell a different story, then tell a good different story, right? Yeah. Tell tell a consistent different story. And so, okay. All right. So we do to wrap it up. We have Rand wakes up from his experience after killing Balzaman. Hopefully, he's not dead either. I think he's. I guess he comes back <laughs> in a different form, but. Um, yeah. So he he wakes up and he's like, I can't be here. I need to leave. And that's that's one of the things. It was weird in this situation, but in the book, it still happens. It's just in a different place. Like Rand feels that he, he the, in the book, they, they come back from the eye of the world with all the stuff, the horn, the banner, um, all that. And he's training with Lan. And Lan, he tells Lan, hey, I, I got to leave. I don't belong here. I get a, I, I'm a danger to everyone. So that part is from the book is there. It's just in a different place. And it's so 
I didn't have a problem necessarily with that, just how it happened. Uh, so he leaves. Land shows up to Moraine. Moraine's been stilled, apparently. She can't use the, the one power at this, at this point. Was she stilled or just shielded by... No, Mazel. she said she was stilled. She was yeah. cut off, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then we also see uh, Egwene uses the power to bring back Nynaeve. And then uh, Matt, we have a... Matt's... He's coming up to Shadar Logoth. He went back to Shadar Logoth. I'm assuming to find another dagger or something. And so that kind of shows us he's still alive. He's still involved somehow. And then there's an epilogue where we're shown the, the far western shore. They don't say like a city name, but it's got to be Falm unless they're changing that too. And it's on the beach. There's a little girl playing on the, on the sand in the beach all by herself. You know, this like six-year-old girl, eight-year-old girl, just out in the middle of nowhere, playing on the beach, and uh, she sees some ships out in the water. We get a close-up of the ships, and it's the Shan Chen, and we see the Koran, which is the return. Uh, we see some Daman and Suldam, but they don't have any silver leashes or anything, um, and they can use the power. So they do that to create this huge tidal wave to send it to the store, to the shore, and. Um, crash it on the shore that this this uh, little girl is hanging out on by herself so apparently she dies <laughs> we don't see it but there's no way she can escape that big wave and in, in enough time and all that stuff so and then that's the end the end of the episode end of the season um, any thoughts on how it's wrapped up how we're left with seeing this John Chan and what that's all about I I liked most of what I saw with the Sean Chen. Uh, the, yeah, the the, the, le the the silver leashes aren't, or the the chains aren't there, but the, it did show that they were that the Suldam and Damani were connected uh, somehow, right? So, and as we know in the books, the leash doesn't or the the chain doesn't necessarily have to be present for the the connection to to be uh, to be enforced, and so. Um, I liked that. I liked the, you know, the, the wave special effect. Uh, the one thing I thought was missing is uh, in the book they have, you know, the all the warriors they have locust armor, right? Bugs. They all look like, you know, bugs, right? So, yeah, I didn't really see any of that in the, in the, um, in the epilogue there. And so to me that's not a huge deal, but um, it kind of plays into their their overall battle strategies that we'll see later in the books or maybe in the show. But yeah, uh, as far as how it wrapped up, I mean, it, it's very different. It's a totally different story. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, uh, again, I, I wish they wouldn't have changed so much, but um, I'm trying to watch it for what it is and, and, you know, experience, you know, the, the, I guess their vision. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. And we've talked about it, you know, in order to enjoy this show, which we've been looking to for not only since we first started reading the books, hoping they'd make a show, but when they announced the show like two, three years ago, so we've been looking to it for a while. We've had expectations and we've talked about, Hey, if we're going to like this, we, 
we got to accept it for what it is. There's going to be comparisons. That's just inevitable. Um, if you haven't read the books, maybe you're enjoying the show, or the show that much more. So good, good for you. I'm glad it's it's working for you. And like we said, it, it mostly works for us. Um, just have some a lot of hiccups, a lot of like I think one of our first episodes we talked about how you know we're we're going to therapy when we talk about these shows because we got a lot of <laughs> a lot of angst, a lot of issues we got to work out from you know, previous expectations. And so this podcast helps us do that. You know, ultimately I think we, we like the show. Uh, we just, our expectations are different and have been different. So we have to adjust to that. And I think for me anyway, I'm getting there to process, but we'll get there. Um, a lot of it's going to depend how season two plays out, how they um, tie that in. Cause they missed a lot of stuff in this first season. I mean, like they, like we said, we, they didn't, they didn't go to Camelin. We haven't seen Elaine and I know they've, you know, cast Elaine for season two. So we're going to get it, but uh, a lot of stuff that they skipped over. So to tie that in with all the stuff that happens in books two, books three, you know, how are they going to do that? We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Well, just to add on to what Justin said, if you haven't read the books, read the books. Yeah, definitely read it. Read the the, the books are so much better. (laughs) Yeah. I was doing, I did a reread of book one about a month ago and I was just so happy reading, reading the books. I was just like, oh, this part is so good. Why wasn't it in the show? You know, just the whole Matt and Rand on the road to Camelin after Shadar Logoth. So good. It's so good. Just their relationship. You, you really see how that's developed and how that carries on for the rest of the 14 book series. Right, that that bond is formed. They were friends before; they're just kind of goofballs. But in this journey, they bond. They have each other's back, and it's strong because it because la- Rand turns into a jerk. Matt's just out for his own thing, but because of this bond that they formed, it weathers that. And so there's just moments like that. And it's just it's so good, and we didn't get yeah. to see that in the show, unfortunately. Well, that's just a testament to Robert Jordan's storytelling ability. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he put together an amazing, comprehensive, uh, coherent, and very popular bestseller story, right? This has been uh, top-of-the-line uh, high-fantasy book for multiple decades, right? Yeah. And there's a reason it was. And, you know, I, I get if you want to build a show that's that's different but be clear that it's different right it's not it's not the wheel of time it's something else and so if you haven't read the books yeah you you go read the books you're in for a real treat it's just it's the character development is so much better the the story the story is far more coherent and it's 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 enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's worth, it's worth sitting down and doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll take a couple months. Well, probably like six, seven months <laughs> to read them all, but yeah, good. Maybe nine months. So speaking of the <laughs> books, uh, we will get back to reviewing, finishing up our chapter by chapter review of the eye of the world book one. Uh, that's our next fourth to podcast episode. We'll be, um, 
the eye of the world chapters 45 through 49 i believe and then the next episode after that will wrap up the eye of the world kind of give a recap as well so stay tuned for those upcoming episodes where we talk about the book and at this point there's going to be like right now we're comparing the show to the books so there's going to be some comparison of the books to the show in those those final two uh those final chapters that we're going to review i'm sure so stay tuned for that because that'll be an interesting way to juxtapose those two experiences right because up until now we've been like well in the books it happens this way and then in these reviews will be like well that didn't happen in the movie so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out but yeah thanks for watching this uh episode of the fourth of your podcast as we talk about wheel of time season one episode eight and definitely subscribe to our our youtube channel that helps us out um supports us in a way that is free right it doesn't cost you anything to subscribe and it benefits us and we'll make more and more content and get better as we go along so thank you in advance to subscribing to our channel definitely comment on this episode what you thought what we said what your thoughts are on the episode and uh, we'll respond and just kind of have a conversation that way so thanks again for watching and may you find water and shade bye everybody